I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, hey, welcome to Page Break. I'm your host, Brian McClellan, coming to you on a rainy summer morning in the mountains of Utah. Couple quick announcements. As I've been beating into your heads, my new epic fantasy In the Shadow of Lightning is out in just one week from release of this episode. Pre-orders are a huge part of the ultimate success of a book, so if you're planning to pick it up early and can do so, I'd be very grateful if you did. If, however, you'd like to see me in person, I'll be signing at the Barnes & Noble in Orem, Utah on June 21st, the Tattered Cover in Westminster, Colorado on June 24th, the Barnes & Noble in Mentor, Ohio, on June 25th, and the King's English in Salt Lake City, Utah, on June 29th. Events are free, so do consider buying your book directly from the store. I look forward to seeing you there. A couple warnings regarding this episode. There is quite a lot of swearing, as well as an in-depth discussion of severe mental health issues. If either of those things puts you off in any way, maybe skip this week. Now, on with the show. My guest this week is epic fantasy author Scott Lynch. Scott is the author of the critically acclaimed and best-selling Lies of Locke Lamora and the follow-ups Red Seas Under Red Skies and The Republic of Thieves. Scott and I talk about the double-edged nature of being a writer during the pandemic and the need to attend to your physical health even when you don't want to. We also discuss Scott's ongoing battle with mental health issues and how they've affected his career, both publicly and privately. Finally, Scott chats about where he's at with his writing and what fans can hope to expect from him in the near future. Enjoy my conversation with Scott Lynch. Scott, how have you been doing lately? Um, life has been interesting lately. Yeah? Uh, you know, in, in, in good ways and bad ways. I mean, I'm... I'm in the same boat as, you know, a lot of people in terms of, you know, when, when you when you get that question, you know, so how have you been lately? How have the last couple of years been? You just, you know, your eyes kind of start spinning and you just start, a, start joker laughing and it's like, where does one even begin? Right, right. Can it, can I put an eye, eye pick, uh, an ice pick into my own eye? <laughs> yes. Um, you know, I, I, I hope my email finds you well. Well, as a matter of fact, it <laughs> finds me living in interesting times. You know what? Interesting times suck ass. And you know, no, we're we're. I mean, we're okay. We're we're comfy. We're safe. Our families are are mostly comfortable and safe. Um, you know, we we don't have any any real complaints. And uh, we work in a strangely popular luxury goods market. Uh, you know, telling bespoke lies to people that has sustained us through the pandemic. Um, in a way that you know some industries have not been sustained. So. I'm I'm a little more frazzled than I might otherwise be, but uh, you know, honestly, I'm 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 doing okay. Right. It it's kind of weird being in publishing right now because, at, at least as far as I've heard, uh, it sounds like the last couple of years has been harder to break into publishing 
but really good for people with backlists. I mean, you know, the plural of anecdote is not data, and I can only give you, um, <laughs> you know, and I, I know I'm, 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 I'm opening a can of worms. You know, anytime you, you, you reveal what your your own personal experience is, everyone yeah, yeah. who does not have that personal experience, you know, takes it as an attack upon themselves. But, you know, possibly I'm just being very harsh. But you've you've met the internet. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, yes, I unfortunately have met the internet. <laughs> No, you know, I, I mean, publishing is an ongoing trash fire um, maintained by some of the best and most well-intentioned people on earth, you know, and I love it and it's where I want to be, but it, it has a lot of issues, you know, uh, structurally and specifically. And, uh, you know, a lot of uh, people working in production editorial in uh, recent months um, have expressed their dissatisfaction by punching the, you know, the eject button and doing so in public uh, just because, you know, the... The author experience is only one side of things. There are an awful lot of other people involved in in bringing books to market, and um, you know the any benefit uh, of the the last couple of years has not been very evenly distributed. Um, and the you know the the experiences have been different uh, from publishing house to publishing house. Um, you know, like I have uh, I have friends at a, a fairly significant New York publisher who shall remain anonymous, and. Um, in the, the very earliest days of the pandemic, uh, the word that came down from their corporate overlords was, we expect that everybody's going to be furloughed. And, um, you know, they, they basically entered into a giant handshake bargain that everybody would be furloughed to work from home when they could. And, and everybody could expect, you know, that this would uh, diminish their salaries and they would, you know, they would all sort of take a hit together to keep the company afloat. And it was literally like six or seven weeks later that uh, corporate came back to them and said, no, 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 no. Furloughs are canceled. We're, you know, we, we need everyone back in the saddle remotely. Um, and we're paying you for the, the time that we, we already said we were going to furlough you. And it's, it's that ladder that kind of indicates just how urgent this was like pay you money. You already agreed not to take, holy shit, this must be important. (laughs) So, you know, they were, they were drafted back into a much busier situation than they had expected. And, um, you know, speaking just personally, it's it's been very odd. I I can tell you that roughly speaking, you know, my annual book sales, which you know were not exactly shabby prior to 2020, have literally doubled in the last two years. I'm I'm at, I'm at twice my usual annual volume in terms of of royalties, reprints, et cetera, et cetera. And you know that's that's very nice for me. I wish it was under different circumstances. Right. I've I've had a, a fairly similar uh, experience. In terms of you know the the kind of you know I haven't put out a powder mage book in three years now and and you know I I have pretty strong expectations of that of the 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 royalties you know diminishing diminishing as they do and I, it they went up and then they continued to go up and that was a very weird experience mm-hmm. but again I'm not going to complain but like you said yeah I wish it was a under different circumstances. Yeah. And, you know, I, I do recognize that, um, you know, a, a lot of the usual, you know, accoutrement, a lot of the usual foo of, of releasing a book, like this is a really hard time to be a debut author or to, to be a neophyte author or to be attempting to, you know, uh, pull off some kind of career pivot, you know, because, uh, you know, for, for roughly two years, like the, the usual stick just did not apply. And all those things that you might be looking forward to with various degrees of anticipation, uh, you know, the parties, the book launches, the releases, like, I mean, you have an entire crop of uh, new releases that just did not get that usual sort of even minimal uh, social support and interaction. 
that they did, didn't get those rites of passage. You know, it's, it's like uh, high school kids who couldn't have graduation ceremonies, who couldn't have proms. You know, it's 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 certainly not worth risking your life over. You know, it's it's certainly reasonable to curtail those activities for a while, but uh, you know, it's still it stings, you know, yeah. and, and I feel a great deal of sympathy. Yeah. Yeah. That uh, losing out on all of those various things. I mean, in our industry, it would just be, you know, losing out on that, that, you know, had getting a local bookstore to have a little launch for you. You know, even if it's a small one, you know, that's part of kind of your debut sort of thing, right? That's, I, that's what I did. Like you had all family and friends come and came oh, to the yeah. library, to the extra <laughs> room and everything. And, uh, you know, that kind of thing that that's got to suck to lose out on that. Yeah. My, uh, my first, uh, my first big hometown signing back in 2006, AKA the cross between a family reunion and a, and a high school reunion. <laughs> right. But, but, you know, yes, it's, it's, it's still, it's, it's, it's one of the perks of a, a very uncertain and high stress job that, you know, at least you're going to get to have these little things. You're going to get to have your, your, your debut. You're going to get to be a debutante. And you're going to have a spotlight, you know, shown upon you, even if it's just for a few moments, even if it's just in a little setting. And, you know, that, that's, that, that, that's, that, that's the churn that brings new authors into, um, you know, the, uh, the society of literature in general that, that you know, brings them into, uh, you know, the, the big swirling mess that we call the industry and the community. And, uh, you know, it just, it, 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 it sucks to have that shut off. And uh, to have everybody kind of have to flail um, about, you know, what goes in place of that uh, when, when that can't happen. Yeah, no, it's uh, I, I think like I mean, obviously, there's various levels of people that have wanted or been able to kind of remain secluded. Right. The last couple of years. And, you know, like, you know, like for me personally, I'm on the very, very far end because I'm I'm immunocompromised and I work from home and so it's no big deal and I spent something like I think there were 14 months straight where I didn't see anyone but my wife. Oh yeah. Which was horrifying but I could do it, right? And uh well yeah, you know, I mean roughly roughly in the same boat, you know, we um you know, we 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 both work from home. We don't have any children. Um you know, I I live in Massachusetts and my my family lives in Minnesota. Um I mean not being able to to jump out and see them, uh, you know, at the usual times of the year, you know, has, has been a real bitch. Yeah. Um, that, that's the part that sucked, but you know what? I mean, I, I've been practicing to live through a pandemic for most of my adult life. I do very well in solitude. I'm, you know, I'm in, in many respects, I'm, I'm a very, you know, typical writer in that I'm a, I'm a weird little mushroom person who likes living behind his keyboard, you know? So we're, we're, we're very, very adept at, um, you know, being exiles from society here. But it's still um, unhealthy and it's still, you know, oppressive to have the possibility of, you know, desired engagement, you know, removed from you. Um, and you, you don't really notice it until it's gone. And, you know, and we've been very careful and we've been, you know, very secluded and we've taken this very, very seriously. But uh, and, you know, the, the thing is, is that, as you say, you know, we're, we're relatively lucky in that we're able to do that. We're able to afford that our, our career lifestyle supports that. I mean, you know, it, it essentially involved very little change whatsoever. You know, we, we were, we were living in a cave to begin with and it's, you know, you just have to be cognizant of that privilege that, uh, you know, for, for so many other people, this whole mess has been so much worse. 
So, you know, we're, we're, we're okay. I mean, we did have, uh, we had an interlude where things got a little more alarming. I mean, uh, my wife has been open about this, but she was uh, diagnosed with breast cancer late last year. Oof. And, uh, you know, that was, uh, that was a, a very surprise diagnosis. Um, it was literally, um, you know, her, the previous years, um, you know, mammogram and examination had turned up nothing. So it was, you know, fortunately it was literally that new. It was that incipient. It was, it was that small and, and that fresh and it was caught really early. So in as much as there's an optimal cancer outcome, we appear to currently be in that zone, you know, fingers crossed, touch wood. Yeah, man, fingers crossed. Oof. You know, and, uh, you know, the, the, the radiology that she was able to receive is, is already, you know, significantly more advanced than what she would have been able to receive, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. So the side effects, you know, unpleasant as they have been, have been mitigated. And uh, the fact is that this, uh, the diagnosis came after the rollout of the vaccines. So while it was, it was still a massive pain in the ass, like I had to drop her off at the cancer clinic. I couldn't be in there with her. I couldn't wait in the waiting room. Um, for all whatever 32 sessions of radiation, uh, that she went to. Oh, that's harrowing. And, and, and that's a short course of radiation, you know, and, and, and less torturous than it could have been because, um, you know, at least she could move her head. She wasn't, uh, you know, chained in place with something out of a, uh, you know, a freaking superhero movie. I mean, there's, there's worse, there's always worse. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we, we're very fortunate that, uh, you know, we, we live in an area that, that takes, uh, you know. <laughs> that takes basic biosafety relatively seriously. You know, we, we pay for very good insurance. Um, we're able to afford very good insurance. And, and um, you know, it was it was not the height of the pandemic when there was actually, uh, you know, we, we were actually able to get in on the therapeutic schedule and get this done. So, you know, she God, if you if you have to get a, a very small case of cancer, I mean, that was that was the time to get it <laughs> seven, eight months ago. So, you know, th- that that uh, threw us. Uh, you know, th- that threw another, uh, you know, spoke into the wheel and, and put us back to, um, you know, more stringent precautions of, uh, you know, not seeing people, um, you know, even, even within our little cultivated bubbles of people being equally cautious, we just, we had to take further steps back and, you know, accept that, you know, her immune system is going to be, uh, you know, under assault for a couple of months and we're not taking any chances. But, you know, uh, like I said, we, we appear to have uh, every indication of a really positive outcome uh, in that respect. And, um, you know, I, I, I had my own uh, little medical issue mid-pandemic that I, you know, something I'd, I'd meant to go in and get checked up on, you know, just before it was breaking out. And then was finally able to get a physical examination for like 18 months later. Oh. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's a pain in the ass. It turns out that I'm, I'm, I'm one of several members of my family who have uh, a, a moderate incipient liver condition. And, you know, in my case, I emphasize incipient as, and we're still in the stage of you need to correct your behavior and watch yourself rather than you have a serious issue. You want to prevent this from becoming a serious issue. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, crazy as it sounds, um, but, you know, maybe it doesn't sound crazy. You know, it's just, it's such a relief to get a diagnosis that, uh, that makes sense and doesn't start with, with a capital C. You know, you, 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 work yourself up into such a state of dread thinking, oh shit, what if it's cancer? What if it's cancer? And then you find out that, oh, it's, oh, thank God. It's, it's just necrotic zombie spores, uh, chewing on my liver and slowly turning me into a lich. Thank God it's not cancer. Well, I mean, at least, at least the latter, like it, you know, it, it applies to what you do for a living, right? You can turn that into a story. (laughs) 
you know, it's it really the the only thing is is that um, what, what it's what it's done and what it's forced me to do is is that I've I've uh, seriously curtailed my drinking over the last year. Um, it's it's yeah. now been more than a year since the diagnosis. I you know I would I would go teetotal if it was necessary for my health. Like if if it really came down to that, I'd do it in an instant. Um, but it, it it didn't seem like it was necessary to do that. But I did cut my alcohol intake by. 75% across the board on a, on a week by week basis I now have a very strict limitation on how much I drink and uh you know it it also doesn't help that uh you know I was uh, I was drinking an awful lot uh during the the years from 2016 to 2021 for some reason and uh so there was there was a lot to tone down but it has been toned down and honestly I I feel a lot better about it oh, that's that's good I'm really glad to hear that it, it, you know, I, I like drinking. I, I don't have many vices, basically, calf, you know, caffeine and alcohol. I don't, I don't smoke. I don't do, I don't do anything else exciting. I don't hang glide. I don't cave dive. Yeah. Um, you know, but I, I do like a drink every now and again, you know, we, we make cocktails. We have, we have fancy cocktail shakers. We have a pretty good liquor collection. Um, so it is a slight imposition, but I would also rather live. <laughs> And, uh, you know, so also, you know, the beautiful theory is, you know, if I, if I live a strict discipline 50 weeks of the year, then, you know, once or twice a year at a convention or at Christmas or whatever, you know, I can, I can go hog wild and maybe have five drinks in a week. But, uh, so yeah, so yeah, that's, I'm sorry, God, I don't mean to whine about uh, my, my booze intake, you know, (laughs) 15 minutes into the podcast and Scott is just unloading about how he can't drink as much scotch as he used to. Everybody's got their thing that they're dealing with. Like, like mine's, mine's sugar, honestly, like mine's food. I've, I've been feeling terrible the last six months or so physically. And my, I finally went to my rheumatologist and I said, are you sure that my arthritis isn't getting worse? Cause I've got rheumatoid arthritis. And he said, no, this is like more like soft tissue inflammation. Uh, I want you to go off sugar. And I just looked at him like the fuck I will. <laughs> ah, yeah, sure. I will also grow wings. <laughs> right. Exactly. But I did take him seriously. And I went about, I think about a month ago, I went, I cut about two thirds of my sugar intake and, and honestly, I'm feeling better and I hate it. Yeah, I know. I know. I, I, I vividly recall, you know, cause I'm, I'm 44 now and I vividly recall being like 20 and sleeping four hours a night and living entirely on Mountain Dew and cold pizza and Doritos. And it's like, <laughs> I, I gave those years of my life when I could live on garbage um, you know, to, to a bullshit company that no longer exists. I, I, I wish I could have those years back to, uh, to apply to abusing myself now. Right. All right. I, I wish I could go, if I, if I had a time machine, uh, I'd, I'd hop back to about 1998 and steal my own liver, kidneys, knees, etc. Cause that little shit wasn't doing anything useful with them. I could use those things now. <laughs> yeah, for real. Uh, that's that's how I feel about my body, right? Just like the whole thing. Could I just replace it with, you know, the one I had when I was 18? <laughs> yes, yes. God, this is this has turned into uh, the, 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 that, that thing, you know, middle-aged people got to tell the youth what it's going to be like. And the youth don't want to listen. I know, right? I didn't want to listen uh, when, I w- when I was the youth. But now that I'm not the youth. Um, in a literary sense, we're, we're, we're very young. I mean, we're going to be, you know, you're a young writer until you're about 75, you know, Harlan yeah. Ellison was, was past 80 when he died. And there were still people out there who were like that young Turk piece of shit. 
so you know it, it's it's a very chronologically forgiving um you know career that we've chosen for ourselves but still it's like it's that that realization like man were all the adults in my life feeling like this when when I was growing up were they all hiding this were they just waiting for their revenge well i just i think about the like massive pile of pills that i watched my dad take every morning when i was a kid like you know prescribed pills like just for all the various things wrong with his body and I'm like, oh, man, I'm starting to create that pile myself. And I'm only in my mid-30s. Like, what the crap? <laughs> no. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, like I said, I, I'm, I'm trying to remember. I mean, I don't I don't have a hell of a lot to complain about, you know, for a for a for a hereditary asthmatic migraine sufferer, clinical depressive with liver issues. I'm honestly doing pretty OK. It could be a hell of a lot worse. <laughs> I, I just I find it more amusing than than anything the little indignities of one's body slowly betraying oneself. Although honestly, you know, if I, if I had that time machine, I, I would go back like twenty five years and and grab my my late teenage self and tell him to fucking sit in his chair properly. All right, <laughs> quit, quit hunching like a vulture, you flexible little pool noodle of a man, because you will not be able to do that forever and holy you will pay for it just just you know, be more reasonable to yourself you 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 pretzel man uh I, about 3 4 years ago i went ahead and got myself like a really nice like office desk chair and holy crap that's been one of the best you know like expenditures of my professional life i'm just i'm in it so often it I used to think that fancy was the $200 chair at Costco. Mm -hmm. And, and I thought, Oh, that's the fanciest I'll ever need. Turns out that that's actually still quite garbage for your body. And man, you just, you need something good. You need and good posture. Oh, I hate having to take care of myself. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The maintenance is such a pain in the ass. Um, you know, and, and, uh, you know, you reach that age where it's, it's like, why do I hurt? Oh, it's because I, I moved. Why do I hurt now? Oh, it's because I didn't move. Like it, it, it gets you coming and going. You can't do anything right. Oh, I slept funny. Guess I, I won't be able to walk for a week. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, I, I, I too, I have an Aeron chair. This is the second one I've owned. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm looking at some of the, uh, like I know people who've been buying high end gaming chairs, mm -hmm. uh, for use as office chairs and podcasting chairs, because a lot of them are apparently very comfy and orthopedically useful. And, you know, I, in a sense, I, I am, I am whining. I mean, I, I threw my back out very severely in, uh, it was either 2013 or 2014, but it's, it's long enough now that I don't remember the exact date, but it was one of those summers. And it, it was horrendous. I mean, it was it was six weeks of, of hellish pain and, you know, taking 45 minutes to get out of bed, screaming all the way. I mean, I did bad things to my lower back and I took I took measures uh, to correct that. Uh, and I've, I've not been like that since I have not had a repeating incident for almost seven years. So I, I consider that a big success. But the chair is a big part of it. And also just, you know, catching myself, not slouching stretching more frequently, you know, getting up and actually taking breaks. Yeah. You know, I, I, I do, I do half-assed yoga cause I'm a, a big goonie, inflexible tall dude, but you know, I still try. I mean, that's, that's more than most people, I think. <laughs> so it's, it's good. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just, it's, it's one of those things where it's, it's like, you know, honestly, you know, despite our whining, like it, it does not actually have to suck. You do not actually have to become uh, you know, a, a shambling garbage fire of a human being just because the clock rolled past 40. But you, you do need 
like I had a, I, I played uh, traveling soccer when I was a kid, when I was uh, 15, 16, you know, thereabouts. And one of my years, I had a U16 soccer coach um, named Mr. Wong who played, he, he was then 42. He was, so he was then just slightly younger than I am now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, 42, my God, are people even made that old? Whoa, wow. We're never going to be that old. And uh, he played on adult competitive leagues and he could do the splits like a hockey goalie. And he sternly cautioned us, you know, he said he was out there, you know, leading us in stretches, practice after practice and, and you know, typically beating all of us. Um, and he said, look, if you want to be able to do this when you're 42 kids, you got to start stretching now and you got to keep exercising until you are my age. You, you, you can't just let it sit. Uh, and of course, we all took his advice and listened very, very seriously. <laughs> I bet. <sighs> oh, well. But, you know, it's uh, it is an essential life maintenance thing. I mean, you know, putting putting on my 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 serious literary thinking hat here, like it's it's very, very difficult to concentrate on what you're doing, to enjoy writing, to want to sit in front of a keyboard when your back is a constant mess of aches, Uh, you know, and, and, you know, when you're when your body is chewing on you, when the pain is gnawing at you, I mean, chronic pain is a horrendous thing to to work through, even if it's mostly self-inflicted. So, you know, there's this uh, there's this age-old geekish disdain for the meat, uh, you know, and this 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 uh, sort of workaholic urge to just, you know, ignore that. The mind is what's important, you know, throw yourself into your work and ignore the demands of your feeble meat frame. But you 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 need to approach your health holistically. Like I mean, you cannot maintain useful productivity you cannot maintain creativity if your if your body is in constant rebellion against you it's it's hellish well and there's more and more studies coming out about linking your physical health with your mental health and you know the, these things are very tightly intertwined mm-hmm. i mean people think i'm I, i'm kidding but um you know i was uh, i was a volunteer firefighter for 11 years and I had some some interesting spills. I got a lot of bruises, but I was never seriously injured um, in in the course of that. I mean, I I I rolled down hillsides in the rain. Uh, I got slightly burned on a couple occasions. I fell off of stuff. You know, I, I bounced down stairs in in smoke and fire. I mean, I had you know a lot of scrapes, but I never ever seriously hurt myself. All of my serious adult injuries have come as a result of bad posture. Re- like ridiculous as it sounds, you know, the 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 summer of screaming back pain was strictly from bad posture. It will it will sneak up on you and when it assassinates your ability to function normally, yeah, I mean you will not believe how vicious it is. So It's absolutely rough. It's it's it, it sounds ridiculous, it, it, but but uh, you know, without overdramatizing it, you do have to take care of yourself, you know, in in any way you can. Hello, Page Break listeners. Brian here to let you know that my next epic fantasy, In the Shadow of Lightning, is now up for pre-order from Tor Books. Glass Immortals is a whole new universe that introduces you to assassinations, intrigue, industrial magic, harrowing battles, heartbreaking disasters, and more for new readers and old. The book is out in the U.S. on June 21st and can be pre-ordered from Amazon, Audible, Barnes & Noble, or get a signed copy straight from my website. Remember, pre-orders matter massively to a new book. So make sure you get that done. Thank you all so much for the support. Now enjoy the rest of the podcast. 
we had discussed briefly uh, in via email, but um, wh- what's the writing been like lately? <laughs> it would be hilarious if you could like edit in a whole bunch of bleeps just to <laughs> pretend like I was about to, to unleash some gigantic revelation. Like, yeah, I, I, I you know. I, I collaborated with Hideo Kojima on this groundbreaking next level beep, 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 but the ship sank beep. And so there are no copies of the book beep and the game will be released in maybe 2027, <laughs> uh, you know, or I can supply my own beeps. Um, well, uh, okay. I, I guess, you know, we, we did talk about this and um, I, I guess it, it is time to talk about this. You may be the actual first person that uh, I'm I'm talking about this with, though I, I have every expectation, like it's it's early May right now and I have every expectation that this, this will not be released to the public until late May or early June. I will explicate um, my issue um, at length, possibly more than I, I, I ever have, um, because, you know, the, the world at large knows that, that I'm, I'm a pretty serious clinical depressive. I've been open about that since 2010. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that was, uh, and that was, that was, a you know, a life changing diagnosis. That was a, that was a life changing problem. Um, you know, it interrupted my career. It, it, uh, it, it interrupted my first marriage and helped bring it to an end. And, uh, you know, getting that to a state of relative stability was, you know, uh, it's, it's been years. It's, I, you know, I've, I've been through three different therapists. Um, I, you know, I've, I've been through a couple different drug regimens. I've, I've, you know, I've, I've now been working on that for, you know, it's 2022. So it's, it's been about 12 years that I've been actively working on it. But that aspect of the problem has been really stable for a long time. Like you don't just magically stop having funky brain juice. Yeah. But, you know, you you can uh, you know, with with assiduous attention, like you 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 can mitigate and you you can make changes in your lifestyle and your approach. You can find clinical solutions, like you you can restore a lot of the functionality that you didn't know that you were missing. That's not an option for everybody, and everybody's case is going to be absolutely different, but in in my case, like the the you know, the, the, the periods of, of, you know, black dog depression where, you know, I, I wouldn't answer the phone for six weeks or I wouldn't answer my email for months where, you know, I, I, I would flinch from even opening it. You know, I, I couldn't communicate with the outside world and I was just totally dysfunctional as a human being. I mean, that has not happened for years. Um, you know, these, these days, um, you know, my, my depression manifests itself as, you know, probably a, a couple, a couple bad afternoons a month. You know, I will, I will find myself behaving in a certain way. And because of, you know, years of, of analysis and therapy and, uh, you know, working on solutions and, and working on feedback, I, I will, I will catch myself and I will go, oh, you are behaving like this because, you know, this, this is depressive behavior. You're doing it right now, live as you watch. And that doesn't magically make it better, but it makes it so much easier to deal with than back in the day when I was, you know, living in total dysfunction and denial about it. So the other aspect of it that um, that has been causing a lot of, pro- of, of trouble is the fact that it also unleashed a whole uh, plethora of anxiety disorders and, uh, you know, ongoing panic attacks. Um, that just were not a factor in my life prior to about 2009 and 2010. 
And, you know, this is this is one of those things that will, again, sound ridiculous, but I uh, I don't have uh, a writer's block. I've never had anything resembling writer's block. I believe it's a thing, but it's really never been my issue. I, I've never had a productivity block. I've been working steadily throughout, you know, the whole pandemic. I've been working steadily for the last 10 years. I have a whole pile of shit that I would absolutely love to show to people. But my problem is, is that I have crippling panic attacks about showing my work to people, about revealing what I've been working on, about breaching my privacy, about handing my work in, which is a really ridiculous fucking thing for someone who is a professional writer to have. But, you know, it it wasn't there at the beginning of my career. You know, I, I wrote The Lies of Locke Lamora, um, handed that in, you know, a couple months later than we might have hoped back in 2005, just because it was my first novel. I didn't know what I was doing. I then wrote Red Seas Under Red Skies relatively rapidly without issue. And that got delivered in February, 2007, Mm -hmm. just, you know, bang, bang, bang out. It was going. And, um, after that in 2008 ish is when the trouble really started. And by the time, you know, it came to the summer of my divorce and the aftermath of that, I mean, I was just, I was an absolute anxiety wreck, you know, panic attack wreck. And it, you know, anxiety attack and panic attack. I mean, they sound like such relatively mild things like, oh, I've got a mild case of the frights. But anybody who suffers from real medical grade panic attacks understands that it's not, ooh, I've got the heebie-jeebies. Ooh, I've got the fright. It's, you know, it's it's like having your chest locked in iron bands. It's it's like, you know, having your, feeling your, your blood pressure swell, feeling your fingers stiffen, feeling your you know, you're hearing your pulse in your head, like, like hoof beats, you know, falling to the ground, being unable to do anything, you know, it's, and, and, and then, um, working yourself into a state of preemptive dread at the thought of facing that it becomes a, a feedback cycle, you know, so that you, you come to dread the thought of even thinking about handing something in or showing somebody your work. I mean, you know, that that's my fucking trigger. Um, you know, over the last decade, I've managed to get one novel out and, you know, that was, that was, uh, that was a painful process. I mean, a, a triumphant and ultimately pleasant, but painful process. I mean, my, my then girlfriend, now wife found me on the couch, you know, the morning that I actually turned it in, you know, just kind of rolling around Joker laughing, sobbing, just kind of half out of my mind because I'd, I'd actually done it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I was still in the throes of, of, uh, of, you know, serious anxiety issues. Um, and I've, I've managed to get out about half a dozen, um, short stories, uh, or novellas since my short stories tend to be on the, the lengthy side, they often turn up to be novelettes or novellas. If you want to get technical about word count, it's, it's, a, it's us epic fantasy writers, right? Yeah. You know, I, uh, my, my, my wife jokes about this a lot. I, I, I don't do a lot of work in the like two to 3000 word range, um, or the under two, 200,000 word range, but you know, a, a shorter work for me t- tends to be about 15,000 words, which is, which is not short story. That is, that is absolute, you know, novelette territory, um, which is completely irrelevant to everything I was talking about. So apologies for, for that particular digression. Um, as you can see, even when talking about anxiety, one sometimes experiences anxiety and sabotages oneself uh, live and on the air. Well, dead and on the air, since this won't be out for a month. But uh, so, you know, I and getting those short stories out of me, you know, I frankly admit that this is this has been a, a, a hellish process for most of my editors. 
um, you know, who were for the, for the most part, uh, you know, Jonathan Strayan and uh, the late much missed Gardner Dozois. Um, you know, typically, uh, you know, I would I would be the last person to be handing my story in just because, you know, I was having panic paroxysms, not at finishing it, not at not at doing it. I I, I finished them all. I enjoyed it. I, you know, I, I got them all in, but then would come the, the you know, the the absolute you know, the, the, the whole, the, the panic show, the fireworks inside the skull, the, uh, the incredible feeling of being unable to breathe, which is, like I said, you know, I was a childhood asthmatic. I don't like that sensation at all. It has a, it has a, a rich history for me. It lives in memory. And, you know, I, 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 I have uh, been blessed with some of the most patient editors on earth, you know, Jonathan and, you know, Gardner in particular, you know, I will never not cite his incredible kindness to me. I mean, he really stretched the deadlines as far as he possibly could. And he absolutely understood that, you know, a lot of the people he was trying to draw stories out of, you know, had some flavor of anxiety or depression. I mean, that's, uh, you know, a big open secret that shouldn't be a secret about the publishing industry is, is that, uh, you know, if you're an editor with any length of experience whatsoever, uh, you you have a lot of experience at dealing with uh, non neurotypical authors. You know, I, I I'm not entirely certain that there are many. You know, that we would peg as neurotypical for whatever that word means. You know, it was uh, it was a, it was a very very important moment uh, to me. You know, twelve or thirteen years ago, when I was I was finally able to to kind of break down and confess my my depression diagnosis to my then editor at Galance, Simon Spanton. And uh, he said, uh, you know, Scott, this is good, good in, in, in a couple of ways, because at least we're communicating and at least we know that there's something actually wrong with you. And not to put too fine a point on it, but do you think you're the first depressed author I've ever dealt with? You know, do you think you're the 10th? Good Lord. No, this is this is commonplace. This is this is uh, an occupational hazard, if you want to put it that way. You know, we, we, we know how to deal with this. No one's going to look at you funny. You are you are now a more normal author than you have ever been, and it was it was a very very helpful uh, you know speech that he gave me. But uh, so so yeah, and and you know part of this is is my my problem is that I, I realize in hindsight that I I've I've made I made something of a mistake psychologically and professionally in kind of breaking down my depression and my anxiety into two separate problems that I wanted to approach as separate problems. And my various therapists have, uh, you know, tried to, tried to work more holistically, but it really wasn't until the last couple of years that I started to look at it as one big package that needs to be addressed together rather than something that can be broken down discreetly and, uh, you know, dealt with um, in detail, as it were. So what has been fucking me up what's been holding me back is you know, it, it, it's interesting i i i'm more communicative about my issues than some people whose books are very overdue um but i still don't reveal a lot of information about this online at least not in the last couple of years um you know i've i've tried to be relatively honest about it but i've also found sometimes that you know that honesty uh can be taken by people and and used in a very cruel fashion and it's just not like it's I'm at right now at the limit of of talking about the personal information that I, I want to give because I know that you know with the best of intentions, um, you know even even if it comes from a place of genuine empathy and sympathy and wanting to help, 
when you talk about this, when you talk about, you know, mental illness, when you talk about medications, when you talk about courses of therapy, people line up to fucking give you advice. Have you done this? Have you done that? Have you tried this? Have you tried that? And it's, I I have absolutely no intention of discussing my private medical uh, needs like, like this is not open to a vote. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, I guess I should say I'll talk about it, but I am not inviting a fucking response and I, I'm not, I'm not asking for, you know, solutions. I've already been driven up the wall, you know, here and there by, by solutions that are, you know, from my perspective, you know, absolute woo woo. You know, you, you get people, you, you get people who mean well, you know, offering you everything from, you know, magnetic bracelets to crystals to whatever. And it's like, no, 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 no. Keep, keep it, keep it to your fucking self. Keep it to yourself. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not willing to accept random medical advice from qualified professionals. Keep your, your, your magic to yourself. It's, it's enough to know that you wish me well, and I thank you for it. And let's not talk about it. Yeah. Um, and, and God, I sound, I'm, I'm being a real dick at the moment. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't mean to be, it's just that I, I think, I think you understand what I'm getting at that. Like the more of yourself you open up online, the more time you sometimes have to spend filtering the weirdness that you get in response. Oh, absolutely. And, and it's one of the problems with having this sort of public, uh, public persona is that people that follow you on social media, they oftentimes through no fault of their own, this is just kind of the nature of social media. They kind of become the, the, they get this idea that they know you, that maybe they're a friend to you. And so, yeah, like you were saying, it's they'll they'll try to give unsolicited advice as if they were a friend. And a lot of times, especially when it comes to things like mental health, you don't even want that unsolicited advice from your actual friends, let alone strangers on the Internet. And and that's really hard to deal with when you're bombarded by it. Yeah. And it's it's like, you know, the, the, for the same reason and, and this this will make sense in 30 seconds. Bear with me here. Like. For the same reason, I, I've kind of gone on a personal crusade to purge from my my repertoire of of banter. I no longer make like tall jokes about my really tall friends. I no longer make short jokes about my really short friends. Like in the the dedications for my first two novels, there's a dedication to a particular friend who is relatively short, and I I've made a joke about it in the d- dedication a couple of times. Um, I've, I've stopped fucking doing that because you, it's so easy to mean well and not realize that you are not the first person who has said this. You are the thousandth this year alone. And you know, you are, you, you are not being original. You are, you are just being an intrusive jackass, you know, and, and and medical advice is, is, is a lot like that. You know, have you heard of this? Have you tried this? Like, yes. Yes, I have. You are the thousandth person to suggest it to me. Um, you know, John Scalzi got this back in the day when he uh, taped bacon to his cat and took a picture of it. Um, you know, every, everyone and their cousin for the for the next like you know five years was constantly like if they found a reference to bacon or cats online, must notify John Scalzi, which is which is funny and pleasant the first hundred times it happens, but then like by by. Customer ten thousand, you're like stop, stop with the bacon and the cats, okay? I do other things. You become a meme of yourself, almost. Very strange. Yeah, you know, I or or you know, people linking uh, Wikipedia articles on stuff to which you are you are you know peripherally related. You know, like there there are 
there are female pirates in my, my, my second novel. And listen, readers, I love you. I really love you. I appreciate everything you do. And I understand this comes from a place of wanting parasocial connection. It comes from a place of wanting to participate. It comes from a place of wanting to share. And that's awesome. But yes, I am aware of the existence of, you know, literally every female pirate with a major Wikipedia article because people sent them to me 500 times. Like, Like, I know, I know, I know. Yes, yes. Women have been on boats before. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, and you know, and it's, it, it's like I said, it sounds churlish. I know I'm being a dick right now. It's like, how dare you pay attention to me and want to play games with me in public and want to have fun based on stuff that I have done. But it's like, at, at some level, like, I know, I know, Jesus, I know, let it die, let it go. <laughs> um, anyhow, so, so yeah, that, 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 that's the, the, that's the very long version of like, why I try to be relatively guarded about some of my health information. I mean, coming out in the open and admitting that, you know, hey, I'm I'm a serious depressive. I'm in treatment for it. It's, it's you know, it's not fun. It's it's a very real thing. It was it was liberating in a lot of respects. It was useful in a lot of respects. And I received so much genuine sympathy and so much useful communication and and so much from so many people that I am so absolutely grateful for. But, you know, in in 2022, there are things that I just, I will not do. Like, I will not discuss the actual drug that I am taking. I will not discuss dosage. I will not, like, I will not discuss the intimate details of my medical processes because they're for me and my family and my health practitioners and nobody else. Yeah. Like I said, this stuff is not up for a vote. Um, So with that said, you know, trying, trying to give as much honest information as possible you know, why is there no finished Gentleman Bastard sequence where are all the fucking books? Well, the problem is, is that for the last decade or so, you know, I, I f- fall down in a conniption fit every time I try to fucking show things to people. And the stuff that I have shown to people, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's like, you know, breaking my chest open and pulling the ribs apart and clawing my own heart out. You know, it's, it's a difficult process. And I, I, I've felt so close to various breakthroughs at various points. I mean, each of, each of my major therapists has been very useful in a particular area. Each of them has had a different approach and a different emphasis. And like together, they have formed therapist Voltron, given me a very good holistic program of mental and physical health this last decade. And I've, I've, I've come so close to points where it's like, God damn, I think I'm, I think I'm having a breakthrough. I think this might work. I think, I think this might be, you know, uh, I think I might be a semi useful human being again. And it's, it's, you know, come fucking crashing down. You know, I, I, I finished a draft of, uh, uh, Thorn of Emberlane, uh, more than two years ago now that I was, I was very proud of at the time and it, it still needs some work, but you know, bound up with, with doing that work is the fact that, you know, I've also been, uh, you know, flinching and panicking and dying at the thought of just fucking showing it to people. So, you know, the, the reports online that, you know, oh, he turned it in years ago, his publishers have it. No, I, I didn't. I finished it years ago. My publishers don't have it. Nobody's seen it because, you know, I, because I have a serious, serious fucking issue. You know, and my, my publishers know all about it. They're, I, I'm, you know, I know that they're, they're not best pleased by it, but, uh, you know, they're, they're well aware that, uh, you know, that, that, that this has really fucked me up. You know, d- depression stole a couple years out of the heart of my career 
And I, I was, I was feeling great. I mean, 2013 was a great year. Once that book was turned in, I had such a fantastic time. It really felt like, you know, I might be on the path to becoming a, a normal, relatively functional author, you know, uh, again. And, uh, you know, I've, I've certainly been able to do a, a lot of the normal functional author stuff. You know, I did bookstore appearances, I did conventions, I did podcasts, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, the fundamental problem of being unable to show work to people, of being unable to share my, you know, my creations just did not go away. It, it, it got worse, which brings us to 2022. So the, the update is that as of, as of early May 2022, I haven't handed in The Thorn of Emberlane, the fourth novel in the Gentleman Bastard sequence, and I don't have a timeline on when that might be handed in. There's, there's nothing going on in secret. No one is sitting on it except me. But something has happened, mm-hmm. which is that the, the aforementioned process of trying to find some kind of, of therapeutic and or pharmaceutical solution to, to damp my fucking anxiety down. Um, I mean, you know, we, we've tried various workarounds, you know, we tried, we've tried the whole thought of, you know, what if you just put your work into, you know, a remote drive and had your wife turn it in? What if you just left a thumb drive sitting around somewhere where she could scoop it up? And it's like, it, it, it sounds ridiculous. That doesn't help. Yeah. I, I flinch from that in the exact same way because it is still, rep, it still represents a certain finality of putting my work out in the world. And, you know, for, for better or for worse, I, I want a solution that involves me being at least marginally more functional. I don't want to have to set up some kind of fucking Rube Goldberg device, pardon my French. So, you know, I, I don't want to have to contrive some, you know, some mechanism where I like, you know, leave a thumb drive, hypnotize myself and leave a thumb drive out where someone will, will grab it and pass it to a courier who leaves it in a dead drop, who gives it to my agent. I want to be functional at the minimal level to be able to hand my work in. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Well, I handed some work in. Well, tell me about it. We have, we have found, and, and the thing is, I was feeling really, really good. Um, around August of last year, um, I, I was, I was starting to find myself in a zone where, where, where I had, I, we, we'd done something 
that was actually having a significant effect. And my anxiety was, was diminishing tangibly. And it was great. And then along came the surprise cancer diagnosis. So I was a fucking basket case for another, you know, five months after that. So now that that's sorted, I've returned to the, the set of processes that I, 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 that we've cooked up and that have been steadily having a very calming influence on my anxiety. And they appear to be working really nicely at the moment. So for the, the longest period of time, I have owed Subterranean Press a set of novellas or short novels. The, the first of which is, uh, is titled The Mad Baron's Mechanical Attic, and the second of which is titled uh, The Choir of Knives. Mm-hmm. And the third of which uh, was untitled, but I'll get, I'll get to that in a moment. You have such better titles than I do. I love <laughs> Take that, McClellan. That's why I'm here. <laughs> I, I, I'm stuck with, uh, with untitled Lynch number three, though, for the third novella. So, I mean, I'm, I'm you know, I'm... I'm uh, I'm not. Uh, I'm not unassailable. I'm. I'm not perfect. Um, yeah, you'll get it though. <laughs> we're working on it. Um, so I. I signed a contract for these things back in, in like literally 2005. I mean, these things. The exist. The, the the proposed existence of these things predates the publication of the Lies of Locke Lamora. And poor Bill at Subterranean Press has endured the passing of geologic ages. I mean, we signed this contract in the second age. It is now the third age and the ring is going to Mordor. It, it, it is, it has been a while. Um, and I just handed the first of these in. That is freaking fantastic. So I, I guess, fuck man. I, I guess Br- Brandon is, is, uh, is the cutting edge. He had four surprise novellas. I only have three surprise novellas. <laughs> I, I couldn't get up to four. Um, but the thing is, when this project was originally announced back in like 2005, you know, it, they, they were just three untitled novellas could be anything. And then, uh, you know, based on some commentary from a friend, I, I got the notion that, oh, it would be cool to make this a sort of a prequel to The Lies of Locke Lamora, detailing, detailing how Locke and Jean get their hands on uh, a cask of brandy that becomes very important. It, it serves the role of the Spanish prisoner. Uh, in in the story of the lives of Locke Lamora, mm-hmm. and um, I was really enthusiastic about that at first, but as a, a couple of years went by, I kind of came to realize that I was not willing to write what I considered to be an inessential prequel. I mean, I, I'm 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 a real snob about prequels, and I I I think that the like the, our culture is really really good at generating for some reason completely inessential prequels that actually undercut rather than strengthen the works that they are supposed to support. <laughs> like, this is why I'm such a huge fan of Better Call Saul, you know, among the, there are many reasons to be, you know, a fan of Better Call Saul, but also like, like it's, it's, it's amazing that they've, they've squeezed six seasons of astonishing television out of this milieu uh, filled with characters that we know cannot get killed, cannot change state, cannot have vast revelations before the Breaking Bad timeline begins, and they've they've still managed to write a fascinating show full of twists and turns and surprises. So I was I was not willing to write an inessential sequel, which is a prequel, which is why that little prequel had to go bye bye mm-hmm. because it it would have been fun, but there was nothing meaty there. There was nothing new. You know, I I I I just I can't do it. So. 
eventually what happened was I realized that I could reuse the setting and a lot of these events and just move these novellas chronologically to place them between the Republic of Thieves and the Thorn of Emberlane to sort of form a bridge narrative, which is, you know, like my, my pledge is that you can read all seven Gentleman Bastards novels and not need subsidiary material that, you know, that nothing essential will be put into another book. But I can do a lot of fun stuff that illuminates a, a lot of what's to come and gives us more time with, uh, you know, Locke and John being boneheads on the road um, and getting kicked around by fate uh, before we get back into the, the war and the politics and the big mainline plots of, of the, the, the main sequence of novels. So it, it is it is inessential yet illuminating and that I can I can do. So it's uh, it's. It's a sequel to The Republic of Thieves and a prequel to The Thorn of Emberlane. And, you know, you, you, you won't miss a thing if you don't read them, but they should be a lot of fun if you do. Oh, that sounds fantastic. And the, the thing is, is, is that uh, originally, like I said, the first one was supposed to be called The Mad Baron's Mechanical Attic, and the second one was uh, The Choir of Knives. Now they are called Untitled Lynch Number 1 because I don't have a fucking title for it. And then... Um, the Mad Baron's Mechanical Attic, and then The Choir of Knives. Uh, that That's how the trilogy is shaken out. That's how the, the, the shape finally came together in my mind. Ah, okay. Uh, which is that, so the, the first novel is Locke and John on the run after the events of The Republic of Thieves, you know, steadily moving west, uh, you know, running little scams to, to you know, help ends meet, and um, just, you know, progressing toward the discovery of the plot point that will take them to the fourth novel and beyond. And I, I'm I'm thinking strongly that the trilogy in in that that these three novellas together will be called the Road to Emberlane trilogy. That's either really perfect or way too fucking obvious. <laughs> it could go either way. Like so, it, it depends on what all of my editors and my agent and my wife, to be honest, all come back with when when the great vote is held. Yeah, and when I am told what I'm going to do, that that either. That title is is perfect or it's bullshit. Um, but but that's what it is in my head at the moment. And and you know, also hopefully after some discussion in the coming weeks, we can come up with a, a cool title for the first book rather than untitled Lynch number one, because I'm just I'm drawing a fucking blank. I'm very happy with it as a piece of work, but I don't know what to call it. And that's unusual for me. So, you know, I'm 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 hoping I'm hoping that by the time this podcast goes out, um, I mean, that should be a public announcement. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's what I'm, I'm waiting on at the moment is basically, uh, you know, a basically a, a consensual game plan uh, with all the parties involved as to how we're going to proceed and what we're going to announce and when we're going to announce it. And there are, you know, a couple different, you know, there's I've, I've got two publishers, two, two, two large publishers, a small publisher and an agent to keep happy and everyone has to arrive at some kind of consensus. So we're still waiting for that to happen, but I expect that it will be accomplished within the next month. Wow, fingers crossed. And, and, and so you will not actually have to blank out 25 minutes of this podcast because that would be a little bit obnoxious. <laughs> I mean, more likely I would just push it back a bit further. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that it, it, it will not have to go much further back, but it's but so, so a thing was handed in, um, you know, and I, I chose that because it was it was near to completion. I was ready and willing to complete it. Um, it seemed like a good dry run for handing something bigger in, and it's gone off with 
really without a hitch. You know, I, I don't feel, I didn't have a panic attack. I, I've, you know, obviously I've, I'm not entirely without consequences, but it's nothing, nothing like what's been, been hitting me for the last decade. Um, you know, it's, it's absolutely nothing like, like the goddamn punishment my brain has dished out at me, you know, since 2010. It, it, you know, like th- this level of discomfort is positively heavenly. I would, I would happily take this if it means that I could turn stuff in. And if, 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 if this means what I think it means, then it means that just in time for nuclear war or whatever is coming down the road, I'm hopefully going to reemerge this year as an author in public. Oh man, fingers crossed for you, man. And you know have a lot of shit all over the place because I've also got um, some Locke and John short stories. I've, I've got three at the moment that are, are finished in draft. Um, I mean, there's, I've got a lot of stuff that I've been working on that I, I would love to release in, in the run up to the Thorn of Emberlane. I mean, that's, that's also why I'm, I'm, I'm trying to pursue this plan of getting these novellas out as well. At least one of them, because they, they, they fit in between the novels and, and might serve as a really good ramp up to that, that big release that everyone's hopefully looking for. But, you know, I've, I've got an online novel called Queen of the Iron Sands that I, I'd like to resuscitate. If I can actually release stuff again without having a goddamn panic attack every time I think about it, then I'm going to be fucking insufferable for a couple of years because I'm sitting on a backlog. <laughs> um, and and, and I'm, I'm, I'm ready to do this shit again. This is what I want to be doing. You know, that's the, the, the one thing that is difficult to take, you know, and, and I, I should stress that, like, I'm not particularly beat up in terms of online commentary. Like, people are people are very mean to George and Pat in particular. You know, I don't get the same level of viciousness. I also, you know, like, I don't I don't sell as many books as George R. R. Martin does. I mean, that's obvious. But like, I I just I don't get the same level of vituperation for which I, I'm. I'm grateful and all that vituperation sucks in general. Yeah. But um what what I what I do occasionally get are people kind of expressing the thought that this is something that I've chosen, that, you know, I'm just dicking around, that I don't want to release another book, or, you know, I I'm I'm I've just elected not to write a novel. And it's like, no, yeah, yeah. Ah. But but also, like I said, you know, you you I, I've I opted to be relatively private about the true nature of what my anxiety issues do to me until now-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I can't exactly fault people for not realizing that. But no, like this is this is not a deliberate program of fucking with people that I undertook. This is not a conscious decision to sit back and not write. I mean, I've been I've been writing continually. It's 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 a painful inability to release my work that may now actually finally be coming to a fucking end after, you know, my, my, I mean, my career has not exactly been in a, from an, from an income perspective and a book sales perspective. I mean, my books have been selling steadily and selling better year after year. You know, I, I, I maintain a ridiculous degree of, of market presence for a guy who hasn't released a novel in nine fucking years. And I, I'm, I'm immensely grateful for that. That's, that's lovely. But I also, I want to be a functional, productive fucking writer. I want to be a part of the commercial and artistic conversation. That's what the whole thing is about. I'd, I'd like to be getting the work out and not just doing it and, and sealing it, you know, away on my hard drive. So, um, you know, I'm, I am, I am punch drunk, I guess I'm, I'm bewildered and very excited because, you know, I've, I've been, I've been living with relative disappointment for so long and living with, you know, 
you know, failure after failure to find some solution that the fact that we've, we've finally apparently reached one, it's kind of surreal, you know? I, I mean, I hope in a really good way that it, which is what it sounds like. Uh, I mean, yes. I mean, it, there's nothing about it that's not positive, but it's, it's still surreal. It's weird. It's like, is it, is it actually really fucking happening? You know, am I, am I, am I finally at the level of functionality I probably should have been at eight years ago? You know, please God. And and I can say confidently that like everybody else in the industry, that everybody's rooting for you, man. Like everybody loves you and everybody loves your books. And we're really looking forward to seeing things. <laughs> Not true, but, but, but thank you. But screw those people. No, I, I, <laughs> knowing that 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 um that that you know adoration for me is not universal i nonetheless feel that i am i am very very blessed by the generally positive response to my work uh, i'm i'm very very cognizant of how lucky i am and 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 i absolutely love it i treasure it and and it you know it it has it has sustained me um i mean you know the the, the readership has built the long tail that the books have enjoyed. You know, these pe- people have uh, gone out on a limb for me, you know, year in and year out, passing the book around, recommending it to friends. Um, you know, the phenomenon has built itself because of the care and attention of the people who've read the books. Um, you know, and I will, I will never forget that. Yeah, for sure. I, I was, um, I was kind of curious. I was, I wanted to, I want to slightly pivot, but this is very tied into our discussion on kind of mental health. Sure. Because you mentioned that you were watching Moon Knight. Yes. And, uh, and and as I've mentioned on the podcast before, my wife has got severe mental illness. And watching it with her has been really interesting um, from an outside perspective. And I'm kind of curious how you felt about it. Um, M- Moon Knight has been interesting because, you know, a, I mean, a lot of it is, is carried on the shoulders of, of Oscar Isaac, who could act reading the phone book in a way that is fascinating. I mean, he's... Uh, He's so good. Like I, I, I'm a cishet dude, so I'm not even in the like, you know, oh, he's so pretty camp. But even I'm like, this guy is really compelling. Mm-hmm. Like I could, I could, you could just watch him do anything. Moon Knight is, it, it's, it's a very creative show. I'm, I'm enjoying its atmosphere. It's, uh, it, it's episodes are occasionally hot messes. Like it's, it's overall structure has not gone whole hot mess. It's, it's a, it's, a, it's an interesting show. And it has not totally lost its shit yet. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's not as coherently marvelously weird and experimental as as WandaVision was. I mean that that would be my nomination for like the the most intriguing and genuinely creative Marvel property that has yet been produced. But I, I am enjoying it, and this this is holding its own. And I'm I'm finding that I I'm really enjoying this conception of uh, uh, you know Stephen slash Mark serving a sort of scruffy disreputable, you know, exiled God who, you know, he's been locked out of his offices by the other gods. Yeah. Um, and, and the whole Egyptian pantheon as kind of this, you know, the, this, this foreclosed company that has shut its infrastructure down and just like maintains a skeleton crew to keep their little portion of the cosmos running. Like there are so many questions this all invites, but it's fun. And I, I'm, I'm finding that it like it, they're, I think they're doing a really good job of of dealing with the dissociative identity as it's presented in this TV series, which is is not quite the way it was in the original comics, as I understand. But like you know, they they've 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 done a a, a bullet points version of that and, and made it its own thing. They're they're 
doing a really good job of drawing dramatic power out of it without exoticizing or fetishizing it or, or, you know, going too fucking over the top with it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, speaking is, is like, they're getting the, they're getting the alarm and the confusion and the worry, uh, you know, right. You know, just, just from, from, from my perspective as somebody who's, you know, like I said, I've, I've had a lot of time now to, to look at myself and be with my thoughts, um, you know, about my, my, my depression and my own issues. And they're, they're really, they're, 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 they're getting that whole aspect of, you know, you know, God, what, you know, what, what, how how am I injured? What's wrong with me? Am I ever going to be whole? Do I have to be like this is, you know, is, is this even a true realization? Do I have a true consciousness right now or a false consciousness? Do I understand the real problem that I'm dealing with? Like, and that's, that's a big question for when you're trying to grapple with a mental illness, you know, like, do I have an honest understanding? of the situation that I'm in or is my condition preventing me from having an honest understanding? Like that's an, that's an existentially dreadful question. And I think they're really handling that part of it. Well, yeah, that, that was the exact same comment Michelle made was that, yeah, that, that panic and, and difficulty and kind of being able to center and all of that stuff. Uh, it really fascinating to see it done well like that. Yeah, because in 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 less thoughtful hands, it would just be an excuse to like let's have the author do some G- uh, author, <laughs> let's have the actor do some Jim Carrey shit. You know, let <laughs> right exactly. Let, let's let's have a total flip out. Let's you know let let's let's have this guy be a Malkavian vampire. Uh, you know, on screen, and and let's just be goofy and and uh, you know just make it a big thing. And they're they're being much more grounded than that, and 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 I absolutely fucking appreciate it. I think it makes it a much more powerful portrayal. Yeah, and, and you know it's and you know this is a spoiler for for Moon Knight, but I mean it's it's a fascinating little thing that they've set up. You know, for they you know you, you, they they've given us five episodes of not answering the question of you know what is Mark? What is Stephen? Who was who was first? Who you know who's the chicken and who's the egg? And then, you know, for, for, for Steven to discover that he is basically a psychological whipping boy, uh, you know, he's, 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 he's an imaginary cockney archaeologist conjured out of a small boy's affinity for, uh, you know, a shitty B movie to protect himself from horrendous parental abuse. I mean, that's a hell of a thing. It's, 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 it's very clever and it's very interesting and it's, it's very wounding you know it's 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 like wow jesus that's a that's a profound weight to find yourself carrying in addition to all the other weights that you're carrying you know so fingers crossed that they they that they don't fuck it up but i think they're dealing with the subject with a with a a great deal of genuine thoughtfulness that is uh that is helping the show to have some grace that other, otherwise might not if that makes sense. Oh, totally makes sense. I mean, when when this comes out, you know, the the finale will have long been out and people can either nod along and say, "Oh, yeah, they really landed that." Or they can laugh at our naivety and and say, "Man, they they totally fucked up that last episode." So, if, I mean, we've got like 2 days from this recording is the finale and uh, we are super looking forward to it, but I I hope that it's landed. Oh, okay. It's it's only a six episode series. I, that's as far as I know. Oh wow! Shit. Okay. Yeah. So so we'll see. Huh. Okay. I'm looking forward to it though. Yeah. Yeah. F- f- fingers crossed. Definitely fingers crossed. And you know, I mean, I'm 
I, I'm kind of in the in the same boat. I mean, I understand. Like I said, you know, I, I've I've got a novella, you know, coming up, and this title has been public for for you know ten years now. But you know, the the title of the novella is the Mad Baron's Mechanical Attic, and I understand that that formulation could be considered problematic in some respects. And I, I had a good long think about this, um, and the, the you know the the conclusions that I've come to are that you know I'm I'm keeping it. Because you know, first off, uh, this is this takes place in a world that does not have our level of you know psychological awareness, that does not have our level of therapeutic awareness, and the language that they would use for the condition that uh, the character uh, Baron Gulan Rajadesa has, you know, it, it is very crude. You know, he's 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 mad by their standards, mm. um, and you know, I I feel that uh, you know my own my own years uh, in the trenches dealing with with you know my uh, emotional illness. Like, you know, I, I feel like I have the right to take that Pepsi challenge with anybody who tells me how I should or should not grapple with it. You know, I, I'm, I'm not attempting to stigmatize or exoticize this guy's condition, but I, the, 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 the most important thing is that when I started the project that became the Mad Baron's Mechanical Attic back in like 2006, I had no problem whatsoever with just making him literarily mad, mad in a completely like Grand Guignol, 19th century, uh, penny dreadful fashion, you know, no actual basis for diagnosis or behavior. He's just mad and he does colorful mad person things. And the thing that I've absolutely done with the, the final version of the story, given what I've been through and what I now understand, is that I've made absolutely sure that I understand what his condition is and what its symptomology is and what everything he does reflects, you know, and, and how he has been damaged in life to bring him to this state. So it's, you know, it's still called the Mad Baron's Mechanical Attic, but I've been very, very, very careful to, to tease out what that actually means to, to be as accurate and sympathetic as I can in my actual presentation of that so that it is hopefully both interesting in a, like a, you know, thrilling sword and sorcery sense, but also not damaging and cringeworthy in, in, in uh, you know, making a freak and putting him in the spotlight. I, I, I've, I've, I've tried to be much more honest about that emotional illness. So I, I have, I, I've felt kinship with that, that process watching, uh, watching Moon Knight. So I, I, I hope that I too will manage to pull it off. Uh, that makes total sense. Yeah, that 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 kind of thing is it's it's difficult to kind of parse those things when you're developing both as a writer, but also uh, maturing as a human being. And also the world is changing and terminology is changing and the way we think about these things is changing and trying to mess with all of that to figure out what actually goes on the page um, it's, it's a little bit harder than most people expect. Yeah, it is. And, you know, and, and I, I, I don't, you know, I don't want to sound resentful about this process because it's, it's not a process of, you know, oh, people are trying to stifle what I could say. How dare anybody, you know, try to prevent me from writing whatever I want. It's, it's not a process of, uh, of censorship. It's a process of trying to diminish the amount of cruelty and misunderstanding that we put out into the world and that we accept in the world. Yeah, that totally makes sense. I um I had uh, uh one thing that I really wanted to ask you about and this was it's a totally left field silly thing. Woo-hoo. Um I read that you collect old text adventure games. 
Is that true? I I um love Infocom games. They were uh, they were a formative experience for me when I was, you know, 11 or 12. My 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 family we 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 didn't own a computer. I didn't own a computer until I was 20. My mom worked for my school district though. So I was allowed to sneak into the computer lab and we were allowed to occasionally borrow like an Apple II GS and bring it home over the summer. So that was how I occasionally played computer games when I was a kid. And so I, I you know, I, I borrowed uh, from the from the local library, um, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy text game, um, Planetfall, Zork, uh, and, and various Zork sequels. Um, and the one that was the biggest influence on me uh, of all, um, written by a guy named Steve Moretzky, was a game called A Mind Forever Voyaging. Um, I actually, I, I did a printout of it as I was playing it, you know, to, playing on an, on an Apple II circa 1991, um, you know, with an old dot matrix printer, you know, the paper with the, the punch holes at both sides. Yeah, yeah. Actually, you're, you're, you're what? You're like 36? My dad had, the reason I brought this up is because we had an Apple IIe when I was a kid. And uh, and a very formative part of me becoming a avid gamer was playing just the demo of one of those old adventure text games over and over and over again. Yeah, there was uh, there, there was a uh, the, my my library had a, had a, a disc that was uh, it was four demos for four different Infocom games. Like one of them, there was a a mystery game. I think it was called Deadline. There was the first part of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Uh, there was uh, Douglas Adams's Bureaucracy, and then there was like some sort of underwater adventure game, and then there was a like a swashbuckling, uh, you know, bodice ripper romance game. I yeah, I I fell head over heels for text adventure games. You know, I I played a little bit of of graphical adventure games at the time. I I played one of the King's Quest games, mm-hmm. uh, you know, those uh, Sierra games. But it, it, the text adventures were were where my 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 heart was, and also uh, I taught myself basic so that I could sort of program half-assed games of my own. I, I did that around huh. seventh or eighth grade. Um, so yeah, they, yeah. they were like they were they were a formative game playing experience for me. They were a formative fiction experience, and they were a formative role playing experience. You know, before I long before I played Dungeons and Dragons or Call of Cthulhu or anything of that nature, I was homebrewing role playing games that were input wise and structure wise based on text adventure games because that was the framework I had to operate in. So, so yeah, I I, I collect old Infocom games in particular in their boxes with their little doodads because um, they, they the the uh, the company would include uh, little bits of fluff props and you know cute little gimmicks um with each of them so yeah yes i that is one of my my weird dorky habits Uh, i i think that's fantastic i just when i read that it brought up this like super powerful memory for me that i hadn't thought about in years so you see you know exactly what games i'm talking about i i know exactly what games you're talking about and and i i like i said i only played that one demo but i remember it vividly i remember every little part of it and I played it again and again and again, and and we just didn't buy extra things. My like parents didn't really believe in video games. I think my <laughs> brother had gotten it from a friend, and so yeah, I just. But that was incredibly formative for me. Yeah, same boat, same boat. I'm 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 still massively enthused about that stuff. Um, I've I've played around with in the years since then. I've occasionally played around with stuff like um the the Z engine. 
various languages for creating interactive fiction. There's still a big interactive fiction game contest that runs every year. And uh, there's, you know, there, there's a, there's a, a fairly vibrant um, interactive fiction community that's been around for, you know, three decades plus now. So, you know, it's, it's because it's so simple. Um, it's, it's one of those art forms that you just can't eradicate. It's, it's one of those electronic cockroaches. There's, there's just no getting rid of it. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. And it, it, it's very approachable for normal people because that's, yeah. Oh man. I, I love that kind of stuff. I love that kind of the days before, I know this is going to sound dumb and old and bemoaning, but the days before you had a million options for, you know, your attention, for gaming, for all this stuff, you just had a few different things to choose from. And it was, it was such an adventure to find those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I was there, I lived through it. I, I still don't remember how we functioned <laughs> like before, before the internet, before Google maps. I mean, I mean, you know, dis- discovering music and books and so on and so forth. I mean, it was, it was, it was just, a, it was a very archaic time, kids. We would all pedal our Flintstones cars down to the, the dinosaur bookstore and the brontosaurus would hand you a book, which, which was a stone tablet. Oh, it's so fantastic. Well, hey, I have kept you forever, but I, I like to end every single one of these episodes by asking my guest, what's the last thing that you ate that blew your mind? The last thing I ate that blew my mind. Oh, God. It's, yeah, excellent. Let's, uh, let's lock a writer in a house for two years and then uh, um, oh, let me think. Well, um, you know, under under duress, I mean, uh, my wife and I, you know, we, we both cooked a lot prior to uh, the, the pandemic. Mm-hmm. We've certainly had a lot of time to refine our uh, our approaches, believe you me. Oh, God. Honestly, it, it would probably be the, the, the last time uh, my wife made pizza uh, because it's it was the best iteration yet of her crust and the cheese sauce balance and just a steady process of getting everything right because this is like iteration 30 of the pizza project. <laughs> um, you know, it's a, a very quotidian answer for me, but like, you know, I, I haven't been going to a lot of, uh, you know, like cutting edge Szechuan places in New York, you know, I, right. I, I, haven't, I haven't been hobnobbing with the jet set an awful lot lately. Um, what, what style of pizza? I'm, I'm such a basic bitch when it comes to pizza. Um, I, I'm I am style agnostic. I like deep dish. I like flat. I like thin crust. I like New York style. I like Chicago style. I, I I don't know what the hell Detroit style implies, but I, I would probably like it. Oh, I love Detroit style. I'm it's it's good stuff. It's very it's like thick. It's like a thicker crust, but like a burnt cheese around the edge. Oh, it's really good. Interesting. I'm not sure if I've ever consciously had that. Um, I, I'm like a straightforward, you know, a relatively thinnish crust, double cheese pizza mm-hmm. makes me very happy. Like I, I, I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm not terribly exciting. Um, sometimes, uh, this, this sounds wild, but the, uh, the, uh, the combination is very good. Pineapple and banana pepper. Oh. And they, they, they've got to be together. You know, uh, I, I don't put pineapple on pizza by itself mm-hmm. or with anything except banana pepper. But when you put the two together you get something really, really nice. Ah, interesting. I mean, other other than that, I'm totally uninspired. And the thing is, I could eat cheese pizza six nights a week and just drive my <laughs> wife to despair. I, you know, I'm, I'm a fucking 17-year-old when it comes to cuisine. I mean, I could eat pizza and Subway for, you know, ever and just leave it at that. I'm, I'm very boring in that respect. <laughs> 
but but no, my my wife forces me to have actual culinary taste and to cook a lot of stuff. And uh, you know, we 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 do a lot of of weird and interesting things with with basic ingredients around here. So you know, we 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 do our best to not go crazy. That was author Scott Lynch. Thanks so much to Scott for taking the time to chat. You can find links to Scott's website and social media down in the show notes. You can find me, as always, at brianmcclellan.com. Special thanks to James Sutter for music and Tom Bishop for production. If you'd like to support the podcast, head on over to patreon.com slash pagebreak or buy my books in ebook, paperback, or audio. Don't forget that my next epic fantasy, In the Shadow of Lightning, is now up for pre-order. You can also get signed copies of my books direct from my website or swag from my Redbubble store. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a review. Huge thanks to Kyle Anderson, Patrick Hunt, Elijah, Jennifer and Angela Johnson, and Ivor Gulickson for their backing on Patreon. deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.